Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. It's good to open the Word with you again this morning as Court and Toby are away enjoying some very well-earned days of rest. So let's go to the Lord once more before we begin. Our Father, who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Among us this day, this very hour, that your name would be hallowed, that it would be reverenced. Father, that we would stand in awe of who you are and that you would love people like us, sinners in rebellion against you, and that you would send the Lord Jesus that we might have hope and forgiveness forever. Father, I pray that you would bless this time. Bless your word. Bring it with power for your honor and glory and for our good and our blessing. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is it worth to know Jesus? What is it worth doing? to know him, and to have his favor. We're going to learn something about that this morning from a most unlikely source, a pagan Canaanite woman. We're going to be looking here in Matthew 15 at verses 21 through 28. And there's also a parallel passage for this in the Gospel of Mark chapter 7. And we'll pick up a few details as we go along from the Mark passage. But I want to start reading now from Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. I'm going to stop the reading there at the end of verse 28. So let's set the context in which this interaction occurs. Jesus had been in Gennesaret, which is a city on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he was constantly followed by huge crowds of people. He had little to no peace day and night as these people pressed in on him and asked him for this thing and that thing. He was continually harassed by the Jewish leaders, even even up in Galilee, and even Most recently, earlier in this chapter, the Pharisees had come from Jerusalem 
to criticize Jesus and his disciples over how they washed their hands. This was the kind of thing that Jesus had to deal with on a daily basis. And it was wearing. He was was a man, and it wore on him, and he needed times of rest. And so he went from there, from Gennesaret, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, these cities were many miles to the northwest from the, from the Sea of Galilee. They were in the region of Phoenicia on the Mediterranean coast. Today, this territory would be in modern-day Lebanon. So this was a Gentile area. He was outside of Israel. And Jesus had gone there, we are told, to get some rest from the harassment of the Jewish leaders and from the pressing crowds just to be able to catch a breath. Mark's account tells us that Jesus entered into a house hoping to escape notice, but he was not successful. Word had gotten around that Jesus was in the area, and this sets the stage for the interaction which follows. A woman who was native to the area, a Syrophoenician, had a problem. Her daughter was demon-possessed, And her possession, we're told, was particularly cruel. Mark's account tells us that she was a little girl, but beyond that, we're really not told anything more about her daughter. The woman heard that Jesus was in the area, and she decides that Jesus may be able to help her. Now, we're told nothing of how or why she learned of Jesus' presence. We're only told that she came with a request to help her daughter And her quest to help her daughter led to a remarkable interaction with the Lord Jesus. So today I want to identify five things that this Canaanite woman does to show us the value of knowing Jesus. She believes, she comes, she asks, she persists, and she testifies. So those five things we want to look at this morning. So first, we want to note that she believes. We're told something of what she believed about Jesus when she first addresses him in verse 22. Notice what the text says when she addresses him. She calls him Lord. But more than that, she also calls him Son of David. Now this is an especially interesting title for her to use. Now, the title Son of David seems to be a particular favorite of Matthew as he writes his gospel. He uses it ten separate times in the gospel. He uses it once in reference to Jesus' earthly stepfather, Joseph. And he uses it once in a general discussion. The other eight uses are particularly attributed as a title to the Lord Jesus. And it's clear that all of the uses, except for the address to Joseph, are intended to be a title for the Messiah. So this is how Matthew clues us in that somebody knows that Jesus is the Messiah. And even the Joseph reference is to help establish Jesus' lineage and his claim to be the Messiah as a descendant of David. So while this woman could have been using son of David merely as a sign of respect, that seems out of line with the way Matthew uses this title. 
No, I think by using this title, Matthew is telling us that she believed that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Now, how did she know uh, know about the Jewish Messiah at all? How did she know that Son of David was a Messianic title? How did she know that this man standing right here named Jesus was the Messiah? We're not told. What is clear is that she did know these things, at least to some extent, and more importantly, she believed and she acted on that belief. Well, it could be that she was already a Gentile worshiper of the God of Israel. The text offers no hint of that, and it seems unlikely that that was the case. And she lived in an area that was known for its wicked and vile culture. She was likely a worshiper of a, a whole panoply of false gods, gods like Astarte, which was a female fertility goddess. And she was, after all, a Canaanite, whose culture was, has always been associated with particularly wicked practices. So it seems more likely that the intended message to us from Matthew is that here is a Gentile woman steeped in paganism from her time as a small child, and yet she could more readily see that Jesus was the Christ than the highly educated, highly self-righteous Jewish leaders who had been squabbling with Jesus just a short time before over whether or not his disciples were washing their hands properly. We should feel the impact of that. Because there are two times in the Gospel of Matthew where people are commended for their faith. And both times, they're Gentiles. They're Gentiles. Now, it's not to say that there, there were no Jews who had faith. There certainly were. But Matthew is telling us, that the message of the Messiah was not limited to the Jews. It was for the Gentiles as well, and they were hearing, and they were believing. And thank God that's the case, because I don't know of any Jewish people in this room. The gospel is for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And in coming to Jesus, this woman has turned her back on the pagan deities of her people, Now, perhaps she had entreated those same deities for years on behalf of her daughter, with no success. But we we don't know her background, but we do know that this is an extraordinary step for her to come to Jesus. Well, that leads us into the second point. She believes, and now she comes. The Gospel of Mark tells us she came immediately. As soon as she learned that Jesus was in the area, she was on her way. And this suggests that there is no hesitation on her part to come and see this man. She had decided to come to Jesus, and she came without delay. And that is a commendable attribute. We see this elsewhere in Scripture. A classic example of that is Abraham. When God came to Abraham and asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac. What does the text tell us? Abraham rose early the next morning. Why? 
because he was going to obey his God, even on a task that tore his heart out. And of course, you know how that story turns out. The truly obedient heart is one that responds to the Lord and responds immediately, not just when it's convenient. The truth of the matter is, all are called, but fewer come. She came. The third point I want to raise is that she asks. She asks. She had come for a particular purpose. She wanted her daughter to be healed. She had come to someone that she believed could heal her daughter. And after a respectful greeting, she made that need known. We should make our needs known to our Lord. It's an act of faith to ask him for help. It's not an act of weakness. It's an act of faith. It is telling him and others, and perhaps most importantly ourselves, that we need him, and we believe that he can and will help us. We should make those needs known with the utmost respect, just as this woman did. In contrast to the irreverent scorn and disdain given to Jesus by the Jewish leaders just a couple of days before, she comes to him with nothing but respectfulness in her address. And as we continue to unpack this passage, we're going to see that she needed more than she asked for. And Jesus knows this, and he gives her both what she asks and what she needs. We don't always know what we really need. And sometimes we just fail to ask. He calls us to come and to ask. And sometimes he gives us exactly what we ask for. Sometimes not. But he always gives us what we need. Always. Where the fourth point is that she persists. And this is the heart of this message. And this is the part of the interaction that is truly remarkable. Her persistence in seeking Jesus. So we see in the passage her first attempt. And we should recognize that by this time in his ministry, Jesus has already healed huge numbers of people. It's difficult for us to wrap our minds around the full scope of what Jesus had already done. Nothing like it had happened before or since. I mean, healings had occurred before the time of Jesus, and they continued to occur afterwards. But no one ever performed miracles on a scale that Jesus did. Not even Moses. He was doing things that simply said no one else did. And it was an unmistakable sign. This man was the Messiah. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the prophet. And because Jesus had healed so many people, we might have expected him to simply heal this woman's daughter right away. I mean, after all, she came to him. She addressed him with great respect. And she made her very legitimate need known. Now, Jesus had healed many people under far less favorable circumstances. And yet, that's not what happens, is it? Instead, the text tells us Jesus ignored her. 
Look at verse 23, the first part. It says, but he did not answer her a word. That seems a little rude, but that's what happens. And now this woman's faced with a dilemma. What's she going to do? She's come out to see the man that she hoped could heal her daughter. She took her best shot, and he simply pretended that she wasn't there. Now, this may not have been the first time that a Jew ignored her presence. She may have felt that before. And at this point, she may have concluded that Jesus was just like her false gods, deaf and unwilling or unable to respond to her need. But that's not what she does. She decides to persist. And so she goes at it again. And at this point, the text runs together a little bit. So we need to pay close attention to what's going on here. So in the latter half of verse 23, it says, And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. So picture in your mind what's happening here. She came to the Lord Jesus, and he ignored her. But she keeps calling out. The disciples want to ignore her just as Jesus had done, but she's not going to let them. And they're not, it seems, particularly concerned with her need. She's just getting on their nerves. And in desperation, they turn to the Lord Jesus for help in getting rid of her. They complain that she, quote, keeps shouting at us. The Greek verb here is krazo. And it means to cry out, to say loudly, even to scream or shriek or bray like a donkey. It wasn't very pleasant. It's clear that this woman was determined that while she may not receive what she asks, she will not be ignored. And it may well be that the disciples didn't intend for Jesus to send her away empty-handed. Their request may well have had the tone, Will you just heal her daughter already so we can get rid of this crazy woman? We're not given a direct answer to that in the text, but Jesus' next statement may well imply that that's really what they had in mind. They just wanted him to heal her daughter and be done with it. Well, because of the disciples, Jesus is pulled back into this conversation, and he responds. And Jesus' next statement is, again, surprisingly standoffish. Look at verse 24. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus said that there is a limit on his scope, the lost sheep of Israel. And it's interesting to note that this is not the first time that Jesus has used this term. Flip back a few pages to Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending out the disciples to preach the good news. And notice that he limits their scope in this way. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, I'll come back to this idea in a moment, but here's an important thing to note. Jesus has changed the point of the conversation with this woman. 
She came asking about healing for her daughter. But Jesus isn't talking about healing her daughter anymore. He's talking about the gospel and how the gospel applies to her, to this woman who is standing before him. Now, Jesus had healed many people physically, many, many people. But that was never his primary purpose, and we should note that well. Because in the Bible, miracles are never an end unto themselves. They're always a means to another end. Jesus' primary purpose in healing people physically was to see them healed spiritually. His first priority was the spiritual healing of the Israelites. See, we must never forget that the Jews are still God's special people. Sometimes I hear people talking about the United States as if we're another Israel and, and, and those special blessings apply to us, but we're not. We're just another nation. But God has a special people. And while those of us who come to faith in Christ are a part of what Paul calls spiritual Israel, there remains a physical people who are God's special people. And among whom, by the way, it appears that God will one day in the future bring about a great revival. So it shouldn't surprise us to see a priority in the preaching of the gospel. The people of Israel are to hear the good news first. We see this priority in Paul's ministry as well. And that should be especially striking to you because he is the the apostle to the Gentiles and was called of God to be so. And yet it was always his practice in every city that he went to to seek out first the Jews and preach the gospel to them. Then he would preach to the Gentiles. Now Paul explains that for us in Acts chapter 13. Listen from verse 45. It says, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiated and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And while this priority is a part of Jesus' message to the woman, there is something more at play here that we'll see as the interaction continues. So now we come to her third attempt. Because again, this woman will not be denied. Having been rebuffed for not being one of God's special people, she appeals to Jesus' mercy. Note in verse 25. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Now, we'd be tempted to think that now, finally, the Lord Jesus will receive her as she bows before him. She's been very respectful. She has claimed no worthiness in herself. She has simply begged for mercy. This is the matter, this is the manner in which all people should come to the Savior, pleading only for his mercy. And yet she is not received. 
Jesus rebuffs her request once again with his most insulting statement yet. Notice verse 26. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, he really said that. He refers to her and by extension her daughter as a dog. Now, some contend that this term was commonly used by the Jews in reference to the Gentiles. Other scholars say, no, it was not common, except perhaps among the rabbis. But regardless of how commonly the term was used or not, it was not a compliment. It was an insult. And Jesus really said it. And has got to beg the question, what's going on here? Is it possible that Jesus is really being as rude as he appears to be? Well, in one sense, I think that he was. He was purposely treating her in a manner that would be interpreted as rude. Now, some commentators say that's not the case, and they may well be right. They suggest that while his words were harsh, that his face and body language were very welcoming and they were, they were communicating something very different to her, that he was smiling or otherwise being welcoming to her. And that's possible, but that's speculation. There's nothing in the text that tells us that that is the case. And actually, I think the text is purposeful in bringing us to the conclusion that Jesus was, in fact, pushing against her in a way that would be interpreted as rude. And in fact, it is central to the main point about this interaction. So what's the main point? The main point is that Jesus' actions have a purpose here. The Lord Jesus wasn't just having a bad day, nor did he feel the same antipathy toward this woman that most Jews would have felt toward her being a Gentile. No, it was none of those things. He was not intent on cutting her down or diminishing her value as a person. Jesus wasn't in the business of putting down people, unless they were proud and self-righteous. No, his manner was not intended as a put-down, nor was he rebuking her in any way. We can also be certain of this. Jesus was not put off by who she was. The Jewish leaders would have been. They wouldn't have given this woman the time of day simply because of who she was. But Jesus wasn't requiring her to be good enough to come to him. And he didn't require her to have the right heritage. In fact, if he required any of us to be good enough or have the right heritage, we'd have no hope. No, Jesus came to save sinners, not the righteous. And so he wasn't turned off by who she was. Okay, so if he wasn't intending to degrade her, what was he doing? Well, to answer that, ask yourself another question. Why didn't he heal her daughter right away? And he could have, right? He could have healed her simply to make this annoying woman go away. But he didn't. Why? Was he torn by indecision? Certainly not. Instead, it was a purposeful decision to pull something out of this woman. You see, she came to him wanting something for her daughter, but Jesus wanted something for her. Genuine 
faith. He's willing to invest the time to test her in order to confirm that faith in her and draw it out. This is the reason why he acts toward her in the way he does. And this is the reason that he didn't heal her daughter right away. Everything he does in this narrative is about the woman, not her daughter. It was Jesus' purpose to test her. He wanted to know if he was important enough to her to persist in the face of difficulty. Now, this wasn't the only time that Jesus says things that he knows will offend people. Think about John chapter 6. In the course of that chapter, he says some very hard things. And the people were offended. But that was his purpose, was to draw out genuine faith and separate it from the false. And in that case, nearly everybody failed the test. Thousands of people left because of what Jesus said that day. Only 12 were left. You see, we should always remember that the Lord Jesus is not impressed by numbers. He doesn't want professions of faith. He wants lives of faith. And there's a difference. Jesus is seeker-friendly, but not in the way that that term is currently understood. Jesus told people the truth. Jesus says hard things to people, things that they need to hear. Jesus is seeker-friendly, in the sense that he will never turn away anyone who comes to him in genuine faith. In fact, he says in that passage in John chapter 6 and verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Well, now we come to her final attempt. Rather than taking insult from his statement, This woman uses it as an opportunity to make a statement of faith. And having confirmed her genuine faith, Jesus commends her highly, and he grants her request. Look at verse 27. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Jesus seeks true believers. He's not interested in false professions. He loved people enough to flesh out their faith. The rich young ruler failed a similar test. We're told that he, quote, went away sad. But not so in this case. She recognizes that only Jesus can solve her problem, and she will not be dissuaded. She pours herself into this great task of having Jesus' mercy for the sake of a physical ailment. She was there to obtain a new life for her daughter, a very worthy cause. And what she found was faith for herself. If she put so much effort into having Jesus rid her daughter of this demon, how much more effort shall we put into having eternal life? Here's another example of Jesus telling people hard things. And note this case from Matthew chapter 8 
in verse 21, it says, another, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Is Jesus opposed to showing respect to a family member who has died? Certainly not. Jesus saw hesitation in that man. He saw an I'll get to it tomorrow attitude. And the scripture says today is the day of salvation. That was Jesus' point to this man. And so I say to you, if you don't know Jesus... Quit finding excuses to not follow him today. Your eternal destiny is more important than anything else you have to do or think about today. Let's go to our last point then. She has believed, she has come, she has asked, she has persisted, and now she testifies. And here lies the lesson. This Canaanite woman sets the example for all who seek Jesus. You cannot seek Jesus with indifference. You cannot seek Jesus on your own terms. You cannot seek Jesus pleading your own worthiness. You cannot seek Jesus with less than your entire devotion. The Lord Jesus told the rich young ruler, Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and follow me. He was unwilling. The things that he had in this world meant too much to him. He wasn't willing to sacrifice it for Jesus. Now, by contrast, in the parable of the pearl of great price, that man sells all that he has to have the pearl. This is what Jesus demands. Your all, my all. There is no price tag on his grace. All he asks for is you. All he wants is your heart. All of it. He wants to remake it to be more like him. He wants to save you from your sin and give you eternal life. But to have eternal life, you must come to Jesus on his terms. So what are his terms? They're very simple. He doesn't require you to be good enough. He doesn't require you to get your act together before you come. He simply asks that you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, the Son of God. But that simple request changes everything, and it requires your all. If you serve him, remember that you are his. Knowing him is far more valuable than anything you have ever given up for him. He is our Savior, and he is our treasure. But if you've never repented and believe, the time is now. You've been blessed already. You're hearing the gospel right now. And to the extent that you've been under the teaching of God's word any length of time, you know who Jesus is, and you know who you are. It's a tremendous blessing But knowing who Jesus is isn't enough. That's not enough. You must come to him in repentance, in faith. And if you've ever thought that you need to deal with Jesus someday, that day is today. See what the woman did. She came to him immediately. She left nothing 
She left nothing to keep her. She let nothing keep her from having his favor. She persisted until she had it. Come to know him now. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Jesus. We're every bit as unworthy as this woman. And yet, you say to us all, come, come, and I will not cast out anyone who comes. Oh, Father, encourage us. Help us who know the Lord Jesus to see the treasure that he is. And Father, I pray as well that you would have mercy on those here who don't know him. Father, that you would work in their hearts and their lives right now and bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray it in his name. Amen.